This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and I am here with my co-founder and good friend, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, man? It's good to see you in that um, luscious, glistening hair of yours. You know, that's something that I can no longer say that I have, so, you know, I have to appreciate what you got going on up top with that brother. You do glisten, though. This is true. I do glisten. I do. I do. Yeah, you, you know, are glisten in the light. You know, especially if I got a little glistening. A little sweat. You know, if I perspire a little bit, I glisten even more. So yeah, I, I get. But you. I yeah, you are glistening. Yeah, you're. you're <laughs> 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 like he, you, you're in full glisten. I wouldn't worry about it. I, I, um, no, I'm doing great. And I will tell you how I get this glisten. It's not necessarily natural. Mm. I use. There's this brand called M slash F, which I have been told or read that means male, female. And they have mm. a list of really interesting sort of a suite of very interesting beauty products. And one of them is called transformational oil. Well, when you said M slash F, I just thought about Sam Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was <laughs> begin with. Like, I thought that's what I thought's what I thought the 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 and then I found out it was male, female. Nice. So the vial is about this this big. And it's sort of a, sort of a, you know, like a plunger, like a squeeze and you just get a little bit of it and you, you squirt it into your hand and then you just kind of do a once over and then it just, but here's the thing about transformational oil. You can use it in your hair. You can use it on your beard. You can use it on your skin. It's good all the way around. And they have these really weird, like, like I said, suite of products. They have pheromone cream. Mm. You rub it, put it on your neck, and then you're sitting off those pheromones, dog. Nice. And all the dogs you know in the neighborhood I mean? just like come straight to your house. Howl. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, that's what it's called. So if anybody wants to look it up, M slash F, if you have the means. And their suite of products are are really interesting. And I find that they really work well. Their conditioner is unbelievable. 
shampoo and conditioner set. I would get it very plain. They're almost brandless. So it's just white mm. bottles with very, very clean sort of thin Helvetica, I think is what it is. Uh, font. It's just, it's a nice clean thing. And you can also transform mm. your hair. Speaking of transformations. Oh, so oh, everybody that listens to this long-term knows that I'm in uh, beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. But for those people who don't know or don't listen regularly, might not know that, uh, that's where I record this podcast from. That's where I'm sitting. And last night, so this is being recorded on the 9th of November. So for those listening, this publishes well after this. But last night was basically Nashville's Grammy Awards, CMA Fest. CMA Awards. I shouldn't say Fest. Fest is totally different than the awards. CMA Awards. And I've got to tell you, I'm just, I, I will never get over Jelly Roll, the artist Jelly Roll. <laughs> no, no. What is it about the artist Jelly Roll that you can't get over? Is it the name? Is it the image? Is it the voice? Is it all of the above? It's none of it. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's none of it. I loved his Loved, loved, loved his acceptance speech. 39 years old, been in music for 20 years, wins an award for best new artist. Like, mm. how does it even make sense, right? There is something poetic about a 39-year-old man winning new artist of the year. I don't know where you're at in your life or what you're going through, but I want to tell you to keep going, baby. I want to tell you success is on the other side of it. I want to tell you it's going to be okay. I want to tell you that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. Because what's in front of you is so much more important than what's behind you. Let's party, He gives a pulpit-worthy motivational speech to the entire audience that will have you wanting. It felt like I was one of the players in any given Sunday with Al Pacino. And oh, there you go. That's like that's I, a classic. I was ready. I was ready to go. Who wants it? When he said, "There's a reason the windshield is smaller than the rearview mirror," <laughs> I was like, "Okay, right. let's yes, go, yes, yes, sir. let's go." Yeah, Especially for a guy preach. like me, where 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 there was a good partition of people in my own family that thought I'd be dead by 21, right? So when you guys hear me wilding out on this podcast or like just how I am, just know I'm how I am because I'm laughing all the way to the bank and wherever the hell I go. I'm laughing at the grocery store because 50% of my family had, they took the under on me living, <laughs> being alive right now. They took the under. Okay. They were shorting my stock. Right. So I could, you know, knock on wood. I don't want to die. I want to live forever, but I could die tomorrow. And I would have done better than most people thought I was going to do. So for that, I get jelly roll. I know exactly where it's coming from. I loved it. The second thing are just all the people who are exposed to Jelly Roll now, like just rolling through my X feed, being like, I don't know who this Jelly Roll guy is, but he's got a new fan. Jelly Roll was a white gangster rapper from, from Tennessee 20 years ago. He was trying to kind of follow along the lines of if you, if you think back to the master P era of hip hop, where he just owned hip hop for five years, master P and silk, the shocker, silk the Juvenile, shocker. Yep. 
uh, Manny, Manny Lil Fresh. Wayne, all, or not Lil Wayne. That's a different crew. Hold on. Silk to Shocker, Master P. Who's the dude that went to jail? C-Murder. And Mystical. There's Mystical, C-Murder. Sorry, I blended crews. I blended Cash Money and uh, No Limit right there. But anyway, back when both of them were kind of coming out together, he was riding that wave. So he had had album covers that kind of looked like that. That was kind of the vibe. It was kind of different because it was like, okay, well, here's here's basically the white eight ball, right? If you know eight ball and MJG. MJG. Right. From from Memphis, where where in Orange Mound, where they just sort of blew up out of Memphis. They, you know, they're still considered probably top five rap duo of all time. Right. And they didn't have any of the New York LA money behind them. Uh and they and you would be hard pressed. Two things. You'd be hard pressed to find a better hip hop album than Coming Out Hard by A Ball and MJG. And then second, you can't release that album today. <laughs> that album just because of woke and everything it like, and just like we've just come to a better place as people. Cause I'm not advocating, I'm not saying it should come out today. I'm saying you cannot release Coming Out Hard today. It's just not an album that would hit and and be palatable. So anyway, that was Jelly Roll. And it worked for a little while. I remember him being around sort of when I was in high school next like vibing off that and like, and then he kind of went away for a while. And then he just burst back on the scene. I've seen him everywhere. Like the last five years, he's been everywhere. Kudos to his publicist team. Kudos to uh, his wife, who he gave thanks to his entire team. And it just goes to show that you can have a second act like the, like Darius Rucker was Hootie. And now, if he just keeps making country music, people might actually forget that he's Hootie from Hootie, or he was in Hootie and the Blowfish, because he said many times, I'm not Hootie. <laughs> right. People think I'm Hootie, I'm not Hootie. <laughs> people will forget that's where he started. He's like, oh, Darius Rucker, the country singer. Right? And like, I, I think that could happen. That has happened for Jelly Roll. I think very few people know that he was a rapper before he was a country artist. So... That happened last time, just vibing on that, on that transformation and, and just what it could mean for any artist out there and anybody who's trying to do a thing. And maybe they, you know, we reserve the term pivot for tech companies. It can happen for anybody. You can pivot that. You can move in a different direction. I was going to jump in on that, though. That's really interesting that he got the best new artist. And I don't know if in his speech he even mentioned that or if he called that out. Or how much he called it Didn't. out, You're right? And it's it's interesting. You know, I'd really want to know. I'd love to sit down with him and say, "How does that make you feel?" You know, what's what's new about you in this industry? And he's probably going to say, "The fact that y'all give me my flowers—that's the only yeah. thing that's new." I've been doing yeah. this for twenty years, and I've been this, I've been that, I've been here, I've been there. There's nothing new. It's just yeah. that y'all are willing to recognize me for the talent that I have, and you're willing to recognize it in this genre, where maybe he, I mean, who knows? I don't know how many other genres he tried. That's what changed the genre. He found an audience there, and he found that he might. I think what's interesting is is he was rapping when he knew he could sing well. I was wondering if he did R and B at one point. I would love. I'm going to start looking. I'm going to see what else he's done because. Because like you said, he disappeared, right, for a little while. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that he disappeared and likely just went off and tried a bunch of different things. It's kind of the way that comedians will go to, you know, you would say dive bars to try out their their act. And mm-hmm. maybe he was test doing it. the same thing. Like, let me test this out. Like maybe maybe they want me to be something different. And he's a chameleon. And maybe he was okay with that. Right. Country isn't the fallback option from rap. It was just he was taking advantage maybe of the zeitgeist at the time. And he's so versatile that he thought that that's where he would go. So if that wasn't working, I, I he said, let me right. flex my versatility somewhere else. And I, I can imagine I could see this guy singing R&B somewhere, you know, then singing the blues and then maybe trying a little rock, maybe a little rock hip hop. And then maybe one day he sang a country cover. And somebody was like, yo, <laughs> like you have missed your calling. He's like, what? And it just all uphill, you know, uphill from there. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'd be curious. I'm, so now you got me interested. I'm going to go check out what he's done go to see what he's done over time. I think what happens when you grow up here in the music city is that you, if you're not naturally involved in country music, you try to buck up against it. Like I have a lot of friends that just like, I'm not doing country music. I'm not being part of the country music machine. Let me make this music here. And it's kind of music's version of what we say in film, produce where you are, right? When you know the industry wants a certain type of movie, you're like, no, I'm going to make this movie. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't work out as well as it could or it puts you in a bad environment. You know, like I have this talk track that I give to, to people that I mentor and talk to, which is like, Everybody should wait tables, but then get out of there within two years or the culture will, will swallow you whole. Because everybody needs to learn how to serve someone with humility and to work for that tip, to, to, to serve someone, right? And to just know what that culture is like, understand it. And then it helps you be a better human. I think in society, you're a better tipper, but you're also just a better human, right? But if you stay there long enough to cash in, cash out business, you'll be on drugs in five years and, you know, whatever. I just, I've done that. I, I know what that culture is like, right? And I think hip hop could be similar, right? Like, it's very good. You get to sort of, you know, release this poetry that's so intimate probably to you and and therapeutic just to say and to write. But what's the culture of hip hop? And because he talks about the fact that, like, his wife saved his life. Well, what does that mean? Probably means something a lot more than he's willing to say on an acceptance speech stage. Right. And so he finally just said, you know what? Why am I fighting this? Like, this is the place where you can do country music and do it at a very high level. Right. And so I just think. Yeah. I can see him finding his tribe. That might've been the thing. If he found a better tribe to be around that was more uplifting, created new opportunities for him. And he's thriving in that, which is great. And I'll definitely have to check out his acceptance speech because, you know, now I'm interested, man. I'm going to check it out. Look, you're right about the zeitgeist. He probably saw Post Malone, who's rapping and singing, has similar tattoos, and was successful in that transition. He he probably saw that country's becoming more inclusive. Uh, You've got a lot of black country singers now. You've got country people doing hip hop, a lot of mashups. He's like, this is the time. And, and timing is everything. So I mentioned kudos to his publicist because I just was thinking about the strike ending, which is kudos to all the actors, performers out there uh, who finally are able to go back to work. I, I think it was harder on the actors than it was even for the writers, because first of all, 
I don't know if everybody realizes, I think they kind of intuitively understand it, but just to put a number on it or get close approximation, there's only about 1200 working writers in the industry. And so their solidarity cannot be matched by SAG, first of all. Uh, and, and they all know each other. It's like going to high school. And then second of all, you're dealing with far less people. So it's easier to resolve. And those people are all working. So they have sort of a longer runway, if you will, of finances. If you were just turned to SAG actor, you were running out of money. There are hundreds and thousands of members of SAG. So the solidarity isn't there. Not everybody voted to strike, like not even close. And so it's a much harder negotiation. And I think in turn, even though I'm so glad that the strike is over, I think in turn, we'll see that they might've gotten not as good of a deal as the writers. That's not a popular thing to say. Uh, I think they got a better deal. I think they got the protections they wanted. I am curious to see what these this language is around diversity uh, inclusion. I'm, I'm curious to see what the language is around renewal, since this is only a three-year term. I'm curious to see what those increases are with the with the streaming. So there are some things that Fran Drescher kind of put out there as an official statement from SAG, SAG-AFTRA, that are, are reason for applause, but there's no details yet. And so on the next Indie Talk after this one, I think there'll be details for us to talk about and sort of for us to examine. But there was this joke that, that, you know, everybody needed to like grab their umbrellas because it's about to rain on you from the publicists. <laughs> so, so it's not that the actors are like, like, of course the actors are ready to go. Uh, shout out to Daniel Vega, shout out to Chris Green and all the people sort of in our circle that are like, yes, we're back to work. All the local folks that, that, you know, act and have been in our films, for example, they're excited. But outside of that circle is another circle of just publicists that are about to go wild. Well, they can get stuff done. Now it's time, you know, open up the floodgates, <laughs> like you said, and, and get stuff done, get the people out there, get the films out there. You know, they push a lot of stuff back, you know, because of this. You know, one of the things that I'm really interested in as well is the the folks that were affected in, you could say the Hollywood LA circle. And what I mean by that is actually the people that are just on the outside. So yeah. if actors aren't working, then they're not uh, patronizing the businesses that are in and around the studios. And those could be things like ice cream shops, pizza parlors, you know, laundromats. There has been a cascading effect of this whole thing it's it's kind of like almost a COVID effect. You know, people yeah. aren't going into these buildings. They're not going into the office building studios. And that means all the other businesses are suffering. So I'm I'm hopeful that all of those businesses as well are able to get back on their feet and recover from what's happened. I don't know if or if any of them actually shut down or if they were just downsizing or how that worked out. I know that a couple of places where they had to let people go because they didn't have enough business. Uh, but I do, I am hopeful that, you know, they're able to get back on their feet just as the actors are. And just like you said, just as the publicists are, and we're, we're going to see some stuff, man. We're going to see probably some more commercials. We're going to see some more late night stuff. We're going to see, you know, the trailers coming out again. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to see in the, the publicists, I'm sure are popping bottles right now, you know, with excitement that 
they're back at work. Yeah, it opens up the other half of their business because you know publicists are smart. They're, they're going to do music industry folks. They're going to do uh, real estate agents. They're going to do CEOs. So, you know, publicists can work with anybody. But now that you have the actors too, uh, they're going to be inundated with work, and so we just have to get ready. They're going to be on fire. Our inbox is going to be full, Nick. There you I'm go. sure in the next. Uh, well, I mean, let's just keep a spade a spade. I got like what five to seven publicist emails today. Like, so yeah, it's just gonna, it's just It'll gonna be busy. cascading, like thing. you said, and 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 say, but yeah, it's not. It's it's definitely not a, a problem. I've read that the now I can't remember if it's the aggregate or one particular streamer slash studio that the strikes had cost them three hundred to five hundred million dollars in losses, and I wanted to mention that because it's really important to pay attention to how a story is framed. I've probably talked about this years and years ago on the podcast. I don't actually bring it up a lot, but you know, I went to school for journalism and marketing at Middle Tennessee State University. They call it the value of the South. The value of the South. What a what a wonderful way to say I don't even know it what don't that cost means. much. <laughs> It don't cost much to go here, <laughs> but you're going to learn something. So it's the, something. it's the value of the South. So no, great college. Shout out to MTSU, largest attended college, I think, in Tennessee now. But um, in journalism school, J school, you learn all about framing and how to tell a story and sort of like the newsworthiness of a thing. And when you read that, I think it comes off as, well, I bet those corporations sure are glad that these strikes are over. They lost upwards of $500 million. And would you rather be profitable than take a loss? Uh, sure. Sure you would, of course. But take the case of David, uh, what's, what's his name, Zaslav uh, at, at Warner Brothers, Discovery. You start to realize that what he is is a decisive decision maker. He's convicted in his decision making, and he's a and he's just a brilliant guy uh, around taxes and, and finances. And if you look at Warner Brothers' statement, financial statement from last year, they lost four point seven million, something like that. And so you might say, well, how does a company stay in business if you lost $4.7 million? But this is a game that large multi-billion dollar cap companies play. And so I, I saw that uh, John Cena's latest movie, Dave Green's, directed film Coyote versus Acme, where they were going to sort of roll out Wiley Coyote as an IP character. They were very excited about it. And uh, for all intents and purposes, all the test screenings were positive. All these audience seemed to love it. They were so excited. This movie cost $30 million. Uh, it was also sort of WB's plan to take advantage of their IP from Looney Tunes. And the movie got shelved, <laughs> tax write-off. 
Now this comes now one, that movie was greenlit by the previous regime. And we know that whenever a regime changes, everything that the previous regime did is considered uh non plus, like just like get it out of here. It's the reason you were failing. It's the reason I'm here is because you were making decisions like this. Right. Before that, they, they shelved Batgirl, which was a $90 million budget film. And so to the lay film person, they look at that and say, these guys are freaking insane. They're just going to throw away $120 million. No, it's not how it works. So if you, take a $120 million loss, let's say, let's just stick with Coyote versus Agni. So you take a $30 million loss. A couple of things happen there, right? They're in the 28% tax bracket because they're a multi-billion dollar cap company, corporate tax, 28%. So you multiply that you know, times the, the number, 30 million, and you come up with something like 8.4 million that you get back in, in uh, tax gains by not having to pay that as income, right? But, but, aha, aha, if you can, if you can show a loss across the board with that in the pot, which they did, and they continue to do, just show losses at the end of the year, then you pay zero taxes. So here's a company that had revenues last year of $4.2 billion, okay, that now pays zero taxes. So what people are saying, well, oh my God, you just, you can't make $30 million off of a John Cena movie with IP. You must not know how to do your job. You must not know how to, well, first of all, they didn't have to pay 30 million in PNA to put the movie out. And then second of all, if they can show no profit, across the board, the tax benefit is over $1 billion. <laughs> so, so when you're a company that's in the midst of a restructure, like HBO Warner Brothers is, Discovery is, they're completely restructuring. They have a style they want to go with. They have a plan they want to go with. And it's all coming from the top. And these movies, they don't fit into it. They're like, cool, we'll take a loss for a couple of years on paper, pay no taxes, save billions of dollars. And so it's just a game that they play. But for us, we're actually like, we don't get it. Right. We hear that and we say, oh, that's a negative story. I don't know. Uh, Papa bear just produced Papa bear is like, Oh, they collective studios, $6 billion loss from the actor strike. Okay. Are they happy or sad? <laughs> because that 6 billion is potential 6 billion, not real. And if they can prove it's a natural loss, great. That's how the game works. We live in an upside down world, folks. Now, from the filmmaker's perspective, nothing is more heartbreaking. And it's proof that it ain't just about the money, folks. You make a $30 million film, you, your crew and cast and producing team puts their heart into it and their soul into it. And then you don't release it. You never get over it, Nick. Yeah, I don't It's interesting. I don't, I don't know if they never get over it. I'm looking at John Cena you know, he's moving on to the next <laughs> thing, whatever he's working on. I think there are some folks that were attached to Batgirl in some of the smaller roles that were affected by it. That might have been not necessarily a breakout role, but one of the biggest films that they've been involved in. 
So I think that's the part that hurts for the smaller rolled actors that are in those films. But like you said, it's, there's a, it's a business and it's not like their movie was canceled by someone else. It's a choice that they made. So that is a, it's a business decision. And I'd be curious to know what that business decision is for canceling, you know, Coyote versus Acme. Now, you said that there was some restructuring that was happening. And my thinking is, for the first thing I think about that is like, oh, man, I know what happened. I know exactly what happened. Coyote, he obviously got me too'd. That's what happened. <laughs> like something happened in the social guy, zeitgeist where it's like, you can't be chasing that roadrunner like that. Like, that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. The situations you well, put this roadrunner in. It, yeah, it's, it's, well, that too. You know, you can't do no. that, Pepe. You can't be rolling up on that cat like that, man. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, those are yeah, some yeah, yeah. seriously inappropriate advances. And the same thing with Coyote. He, Man, you can't be doing that stuff. You can't be coming after that roadrunner like that because in the current zeitgeist, that's eight ball MJG. You know, you can't be doing stuff yeah, like yeah. that in 2023. So I don't know. That's the first thing I thought of when you said it got canceled. I was like, oh, man, he got... If it wasn't me too, he got cancel cultured in some way, shape, or form where they were like, that's not cool. We can't do that anymore. So I feel bad for Cancel him. culture is fueled, Nick, by the fact that we've given everyone a voice. And one of the concepts you get taught uh, in journalism and marketing, for example, just to call that back, is this idea of the marketplace of ideas. And in the marketplace of ideas, it kind of works like the hidden hand of true capitalism, not like the capitalism we have now, which is like crony capitalism or like social democracy or whatever, or socialist democracy. But the there's supposed to be the hidden hand of the market. Well, in the same thing's supposed to happen in the marketplace of ideas, where the best ideas rise to the top and the worst ideas are discarded by the people. The people do it themselves. Like, oh, you're dumb. Out of here. Right. But now, because of uh, the scale of social media and its power to beat traditional media to the punch, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that has an opinion, if it's funny enough, Charlemagne the God has this saying that, uh, why believe the truth when the lie is more entertaining, right? Like, we'll believe the lie as long as it's more entertaining. And uh, I think Elon Musk has a similar refrain, which is something like... um, the most entertaining outcome will be the, you know, will, will, will be the, the actual outcome, whatever outcome is most entertaining is when people will pick. So, so, so we, that's, that's a big part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. I don't, I tend to think that they don't believe the lie because it's more interesting or entertaining. I think that they just perpetuate the lie. So, you know, that's what I mean. You know, the truth is. No, that's a great, Nick. That's a (laughs) great point. Because I think that all these, yes, Nick, yes, that is a great way to put it. Because I think all these people know it's not true, but it's fun to keep playing the dozens on these people, basically, right? Like, and to keep the joke going and to keep the meme economy going and, and, and to, and to push these things forward. And, and so that could have been a thing. Like we were talking about jelly roll earlier, right? Of course there was one person, one dumb, dumb out of all these people congratulating him and on his side, it was like, basically put up a picture of him and post Malone together and said, now, you know, if these guys were black, they would not be getting, getting the attention like this. It's like, come on. Mm. Interesting. Even if that's true, 
Like, why shit on their parade right now? Like, why, why rain on it? Why, why pour salt on their success? Like, they're having success. They're having a moment. The fact of the matter is the population is 70 plus percent white. They're white. They're talented. And, 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 and it is what it is. You know, I'm sure Eminem wishes people would say he's the best rapper of all time, but they never will. And he has to live with that. No, I think never, some people might not give, give that him. to him, but I give it to him. I mean, I, well, you know, it, all time is difficult. He's but, they, but the hip hop world one of the top ever. The, the hip hop. There are people in hip hop speaking of like Charlemagne, for example. He didn't even put him in the top 10. So, I mean, I think that's a thing that black people do for the for like like in hip hop culture specifically. So not maybe me and you because we're not in hip hop culture. But in hip hop culture, Eminem has to fight for a mention. And those few guys that are honest about it, we'll, we'll bring them up. I think Joe Budden's been honest about it, for example. Well, I, I've seen him win the best rapper. I've seen him win those things where they do the poll or where they do the uh, the tournament style, the cipher. You know, when no, when they do the tournament, the tournament style um, voting, where it's like you yeah. vote, you know, for these two and who's the best, and then these two, and then who's the best, and those two go against each other. I've seen Eminem has won that. I think it ended up getting down to him and Jay Z, and then he won it's it. It's always down to him and Jay Z, right? Yeah, and I and I think uh, you were saying something about cancel culture and the idea that everyone has, you know, I guess an opinion. For me, the cancel yeah. culture comes that that's what comes drives into it. The the picture, or what really for me what drives it is that you're not allowed to hurt anybody's feelings. Like that's right it. because like, everybody no, can clap back at you. Everybody can feelings. talk back like, to you, and they <laughs> well, can even find they can their community, back. Nick. Remember, Uncle Phil used to talk back to Will all the time, you know, when Will would say something about his weight. He could talk about back, he could clap yeah. back. But now it's like you can't even make that joke anymore because that's the new zeitgeist is that you're not allowed to hurt anybody's feelings. I, I just can't imagine if Dio Hughley was out there doing his thing. He's going to, you know, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's got to do his Dio thing on, a whole on the radio. Exactly. Yeah. Whole different path because that path wasn't going to work anymore. He was going to get but tell canceled. me why you can't. Cause I, I have a idea of why you can't, why do you think you can't make the joke? Yeah. I don't know what the, what the pressure has been and where it exists and who's bolstering it when it just comes to you, you can't hurt anybody's feelings. I honestly don't know how that's been as pervasive in everything. I mean, short jokes, fat jokes, black jokes, you know, unless you're joking on yourself at this point, you dare yeah. not say anything to anybody else. That's, that's how people do it now. They literally joke on themselves in order to make it work. I said, I don't know the answer to why that is. I think I, I, I think I have an pervasive. idea now. I could be wrong, I, but, but my idea of it is this, it's the scale Right. You mentioned Will Smith could make jokes about Uncle Phil's weight and know that the repercussions of that is to get some sort of clap back. I hate the phrase clap back. I hate me saying it. And you get you sort of get the response from Uncle Phil. But only Uncle Phil. If you do it now, see, because you can make the joke like I have a lot of great inappropriate jokes that I could tell you in private. But if I make the joke here. In five years or 10 years, when I run for president, it could come back and bite me, right? So here's the deal. When you make that joke on the internet, you have a mob that comes after you. 
But why do they feel so empowered? That's the question that I have to be against it. Because they have a platform. They've been giving, they've been given a platform and they, so basically if you make a fat joke online, your almost your entire mob will be fat people or fat people's sympathizers or people with fat people in their life that they've seen hurt by those kind of jokes. And that will be the mob that comes to get you. Now, when you have a billion people across the planet on a platform, all you need is 300. Now by percentage, that's nothing, but 300 people coming at you all day on social media, there's always going to be 15 to 30 of those people who are super, super entrepreneurial always. So that's the person who doxes you. That's the person who finds your personal address. That's the guy who finds out where you work. That's the woman who calls the place and says, I want this person fired right away. That's the person who calls your family. That's the person who stalks your kids. That's the person. There's 30 people in that group that take it too far. I'm going to go find. And once that happens, once that happens one time. Yeah. Then you never, you you never make that joke again. Yeah. That's what happens to you one time. I'm going to find it. Uh, Somebody out there. So there's some little group out there that hates Coyote or hates the idea or or even Acme. You know what I'm saying? Like Acme, what did Acme do? Acme was the largest dynamite, weapons right? conglomerate in the known universe. Exactly. So somebody was like, that's the Boeing Monsanto, you know, Halliburton of cartoons and we don't want them. I'm going to check it out. They got canceled. I'm going to figure it out. But there was a movie, uh, the one of those Silent Bob and Jay movies. Where they like literally like hunted down people who said talk shit to them on on online, and they went to each one of their houses, knocked on the door, read it, and said, "Did you say da 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 da?" <laughs> and then they beat their ass right there on their front porch, <laughs> and they just went to each house. If only, and it's right? just kind of it's it's kind of just like the reverse of what I described, right? Like if somebody actually showed up to your house for the bullshit you say online and beat your ass on your porch, you probably stop doing that, but we can't do that's how it used to work that's how it used to work it didn't work that way anymore you can't go to that many houses you can't beat that many asses <laughs> you feel me like that's the can't beat that that's many that's asses. you can't beat that many asses now in terms of coyote one of the things that you i should mention as well just to be completely accurate to the story is that the new direction they're going in they've pushed their chips in on dr seuss so those movies are already in development. They're going to do a new cat in the hat and they're going to do another Dr. Seuss book. I think it's like, Oh, where are something? I don't know. Oh, where anyway. art thou? Yeah. I think that's no, what not it where is, art right? thou. Oh, oh, no, no. Is it the one no. that, Oh, the places you'll go. Is that what you're oh, talking the about? You'll go. Oh, the places you'll go. Thank you, Nick. Dr. Seuss. They're going to make a movie out of that. And they're actually going to make like a world, like a universe out of that. So you're going to see a lot of like movies and spinoffs that come through that IP. And, you know, to me and your point that we've made over and over on this podcast is, but it is all IP. Yeah. And you're just making your choice about what IP you want your brand, your name and your reputation tied to. Right. So that's, that's all that is. We see this playing out with the Marvel movies at Disney right now. Like it's going in a direction that the audience doesn't necessarily like. This new Marvel movie is, I think, being described as weird at best. And 
it's kind of alienating some of their core audience members. But this is what happens when an executive or a team says, we're going to go in this direction and I'm going to stake my reputation and brand on this. This is what we're doing. And then when there's regime change, they'll go in a different direction. Who knows how long Bob Iger, they, they took Bob Iger out of retirement. He <laughs> said, come back and save us. Like we gotta, we gotta figure this out. Come back and, and, and save the ship. And who knows, you know, uh, if Bob Iger is going to be able to do it, what is his style? Like this stuff really matters in the film business. This is why you have so many types of Batman. It's just a different way to tell a story. Everybody tells the same story a little bit differently with a little bit different flair and style and decisions. And, and then you have to wait and see, is the audience going to embrace it? Like, I'll give you a question. Five second poll question. Nick. Do you think audience embraced Michael Keaton's Batman more or Christian Bell slash Chris Nolan's Batman more? Cause I would say those are the two most loved Batmans by far. Right. That's almost impossible to say because of the the time that they came out, and there are also great stories behind both of those mm -hmm. characters or both of those portrayals of Batman. So more, I, I I couldn't say at all. That's those are just two. It's tough, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just they're different. They're completely different, but they're great. There's other ones that were in between that were not so great. That's easy to say. It's like, nah, that guy did not play Batman in the way that Batman aficionados <laughs> might want it played. Or <laughs> there's a, the Michael Keaton Batman had a certain level of darkness that others didn't. They kind of moved away from that and moved more comic book Batman. So depending on which side of the aisle you were on, you know, you could, you could hate either one. You could have said that Michael Keaton was too dark. And then you could have said that someone else was too comic booky. Who knows? But yeah, those two though, that's, that's too difficult. Cause I don't even know. I, I enjoy both of them and I really couldn't say which one that I would embrace more than the other. But don't you find it remarkable that they're so vastly different, but equally loved? I think that's kind of the point of the question is like, yeah, you can tell the same story in a vastly different way and have them both be loved. If you tell that story the right way, like I think that's the lesson that we that we take away from it as filmmakers like what's the right direction we don't know but we do know story is king so if you have a great way to tell it and you have great performers again shout out to the actors and 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 Fran Drescher and Sag you have a shot at telling a story that people are just going to love by the way if you want a third option that's not film related so completely esoteric option here check out the album Born Like This by MF Doom. And I believe the song is called Batty Boys. Batty Boys. Go check out the song Batty Boys for a new take on Batman. And I think that one also works and is equally beloved. <laughs> <laughs> so we, yeah, have three, left field right we have there, three left field. We have three versions of Batman that you will love. And I just think, you know. The power of IP is the fact that you can tell a story that everybody knows, but you can put your own spin on it. Whereas if you start from scratch, it's slightly more difficult because people have to get used to the world first. And what studios and theaters have been telling us basically is that audience don't have the patience for it anymore. 
That's too. That's a little too bad. <laughs> well, I'll just give it to you. For me, is that the when you're specifically talking about the Marvel world, the thing that I don't have patience for is bad writing. Just, just I'm just gonna say what it is. It's not even the characters of those worlds. It's just tons of bad writing. And I think that on top of that, what you're getting is you're getting a lot of social commentary that seems to precede the storytelling. That's mm. as in their goal is to make social commentary and then they weave a story into it afterwards. It's not where it should be the other way around. Like what is the story Correct. you're trying to tell? Who are these characters? What are they about? And I think it went the other way around. So every time I watch one of these Marvel shows, I see the same thing. The movies, I think they're moving in that same direction. So it's like, I don't, want to see the next one that comes out i'm skipping it just like i skipped half of the the last several tv series that they came out with for the same reason it's like oh this is garbage you know let me let me go watch a real story somewhere because that this isn't it and then of course with uh, marvel the one of the big challenges is that all of those stories have to be interwoven in some way and they've been struggling to make that work out it's it's if you're not 100% in, especially on the comic book side, I think it could be very difficult to understand how all of these worlds work together and make sense of it all. It's just like, it's this is too much. Just stop it all. Take a break. Get some good writers to tell a good story. If you need to weave in some social commentary in there, that's fine. But stop it. Just, just take a break and reset and then I think they can have a uh, a new life on the other side of this nonsense. So we'll see. I love the way I love the way you position that. Two things come to mind right away when you when you position that the way you do in the sense of like, hey, this you should come first, then weave this other part in second. It reminds me of uh, Roxana, Roxy, Baldovin. Mm. You speak English because it's the only language you know. I speak English because it's the only language you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's kind of, and then other, and then the other thing is people just don't like change. If you start a story a certain way with a certain tone, you kind of have to stick to it or start a new sort of franchise. And, and, and what I'll give you an example. What was the number one candy bar in 1962, 64? I think. Do you know? Mr. Good bar. That's a great guess, but no, it was Snickers. <laughs> what was the number one candy bar today? Snickers. Correct. <laughs> so as much as things change, things stay the same. Snickers is just a superior candy bar. People are used to it. Mm. And Snickers doesn't have to change anything. They don't have to change the color of the candy bar. They don't have to do like what M&Ms do and like change things. They don't have to like uh, uh, make white chocolate peanut butter cups like Reese's. They don't have to do anything. Just give me a Snicker bar. It's worked. It will continue to work. It is a great combination of caramel, nougat, nuts, and chocolate. And it will always, it will always work. So speaking of trivia, we should bring on producer Papa Bear for a little bit of one of our favorite segments, I think. Things we should know. Papa Bear. Hey guys, how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing great, man. We're doing pretty good. Um, I'm drinking some Calafino tequila tonight. Mm-hmm. It is a tequila that looks and tastes like bourbon. There's your free ad spot. It looks and tastes like bourbon. And- I don't want tequila to taste like bourbon. I want tequila to taste like tequila. It'll, it tastes like tequila, but it kind of you can taste the fact that it was aged in bourbon casks. I'll <sighs> say that it doesn't taste like bourbon. It 
but you can you have those smoky hints. There's a hint without okay. going fu- without going full mezcal. Right? Okay, just making sure because I, I want tequila to taste like tequila. I want my Snickers to taste like a Snickers. Got it. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but this is I recommend it to anybody. Again, Calvino, hit us up. I'm giving you a free ad right here. Everybody go out and get a bottle. You will not regret it. <laughs> yeah, go look on your front porch. I mean, there may be some out there right now. There probably is. <laughs> well, I don't know if you should know this or not, but one thing you you should know is that when you know, actors went on strike, no money's rolling in. So they got to do other things. But a lot of actors had previous lives. They had previous uh, things to fall back on. So tell me, what actor has had a scientific paper published in the Journal of Chemical Education while, wow. while in high school and another titled Frontal Lobe Activation During Object Permanence in the Journal of Neuroimage while at, <laughs> while at Harvard's Laboratory of Infant Study in the Department of Psychology? <laughs> Does that sound like an actor to you, or does that sound like a scientist misplaced? That sounds like oh, Mayan wow. Bialik. Yeah, I was going to say Mayan Bialik as well, and producer Elise says she has a guess. So I was going to guess Mayan Bialik, or I was going to guess the actor from the show The the Good Doctor, who I hear is actually really, really brainy. Hmm. Yeah. But I don't know his name. But if I get it, but if that's his name and he's the same actor, I want to get, I want to get points from you, Papa Bear. Well, okay. Well, both of those are really smart people, and I'm sure they've done some uh, great things in their past. But no. Wait, can we get a clue? Uh, oh. <laughs> is this a modern actor or is this an actor from? It is a modern actor. Ago? Yeah, this person went to Harvard between 1999 and 2003. Okay, so a little older than I was thinking. Okay. I don't know. I just, who is it? <laughs> you is know, it Ross from Friends? Sit in, no. <laughs> he went to Harvard, right? Uh, what's his name? Yeah, but he um, was a paleontologist. Okay, so it's a, <laughs> a little. <laughs> he wasn't a I'll give you one hint. It's a woman. It, oh, God. Okay. By the way, thank you, producer Elise. Freddie. Highmore is the actor from The Good Doctor. Shout out to Freddie Highmore. Did Elise have a guess? She's already looked it up, probably. (laughs) Elise is not the type of person to cheat. But because she's not the type of person to cheat, she's most likely to get away with cheating. That's the paradox. That's the see, that's the paradox of life, right? Oh yeah. Her guess is Natalie. Her guess is Natalie Portman. Yeah, and that's correct. It's Natalie Portman. (laughs) That's excellent. That's excellent. Wow. Yeah. What do you think about that, Nick? Like there are people that just win the genetic lottery. And I would have to put Natalie yeah. Portman in Na- that group of people. Natalie Portman did a, like one of these, I wouldn't, with Bear Grylls survival things yeah, as well. Bear Grylls. What a and name. yeah. And she, I think she spoke a little bit about her background in that as well. And I was like, wow, I had no clue. Yeah. Her, her birth name was Natalie Hirschlag. She was born in Israel, in Jerusalem. That's good to know. I did not know that. But I think there's a lot of actors like that. What's Harrison Ford's real last name? 
think his real last name is like a little bit more complicated than Ford. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more complicated than Portman, right? Chevrolet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, che- yeah Chevrolet. <laughs> Harrison Hyundai. Um, no, the, the, no, the, so, so that's incredible. And that, yeah. I do think about people like her and Viambialic and, yeah, she's got a bachelor's in psychology, and uh, Mariah Carey would be another person who's like, "Wow, really? Yeah, seven octaves of range, and you're gorgeous. Like, what? What? How did you? How did this happen? Right? And I'm sure she's had her own hardships that would say, "Yeah, but you don't know about this, this, this." Right? Of course. And we had a lot of guests on our podcast that are like that. Yeah, uh, that just like they just have all the talents. You just have to pick which one. You just got to pick what that's the hardest part too. That's the worst trick is when you are pretty good at a few things. It's better to be super talented at one thing and horrible at other things. Like all these super achievers that I've been around are really great at the thing they do and are absolutely atrocious at everything else. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we've had Alexi Gambus on. He's a, what a microbiologist. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. G- geneticist. Yep. But also a great filmmaker. Uh, and, great filmmaker. And, and also just a good conversationalist. Like he just can talk. Like he's just a good, interesting person to talk to. But yeah. Now I have a friend, um, shout out to Rioville, producer, R&B artist in town. Been around for years, 20 years doing it. One of the best R&B hip hop producers in this town and he's just great at it, but yeah. boy, oh boy, his living space is going to be filthy. <laughs> Holy moly. He said, but the other things anyway, producer Papa bear, thank you so much. We need to move on to wait. Are we doing this tonight? Nick, are we doing a culture check? Yeah, I think, I think so. Check-y? I think so. It's okay. uh, it's a tough one. But we're gonna we're gonna try this out. I and we'll have to you'll have to take get one of those jokes that you talked about that maybe isn't mm. uh, gonna get you canceled, but maybe just in the middle somewhere after the culture check because it is somewhat of a somber culture check. But I just felt compelled to talk about it. So mm. let's walk into the culture check. And this is what it's about. <laughs> yeah, you had to get some levity. Still laughing this at one, it, man, it's, but I'm, but yeah, I'm still laughing. Yeah. I just, you still catch me with it every time. God, I should yeah, know I had, by I, now. Hey, hey, I got to throw some levity in it because this is a tough one. So I'm going to read this to you. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Several fights erupted outside the screening of a film showing the Hamas attacks on Israel in Los Angeles on Wednesday night. The film, bearing witness is a compilation of extremely graphic, raw footage shot during the October 7th attacks in southern Israel, with some of the material reportedly coming from cameras worn by Hamas gunmen as they carried out massacres. The 43-minute movie was shown at LA's Museum of Tolerance on Wednesday night amid a heavy police presence, both inside and around the museum, to maintain security. Wonder Woman actress and former IDF service member Gal Gadot was rumored to have been involved in arranging the screening, but was not present at the event itself. According to The Hollywood Reporter, her Israeli film producer husband 
uh, I think it's Jaron Varsano was there and dozens of people assembled outside the museum during the screening. And at some point the situation turned violent. Uh, the station ABC seven said that multiple fights erupted and several people were pepper sprayed as police formed a skirmish line in an attempt to get the situation under control. So the reason this is a culture check for this week and, and for me is because the war, the siege, this whatever you want to call it that's happening now and has and happened before is that was started by the Hamas attacks um, has been just taking up so much of my spirit and my brain over the past several weeks. It's just almost something that I, I can't avoid reading about, thinking about. It's painstaking even reading these words now, just thinking about it. Um, but now thinking about the fact that someone would take this content and have a screening of this footage of something so horrendous and horrific, but at the same time, so polarizing and not expect this type of behavior to ensue. I, I just don't understand. Like, what was the expectation by putting this stuff on screen? Was, was there an expectation that everyone would just feel disgusted and then feel bad for the Israelis when we know that there's a mixed population here in the United States? How did they think that this was going to go? You know, what is there some cultural dissonance here? Is there something that people don't understand, you know, about the world when presenting something like this? It's just, to me, it's just like you're, you're tone deaf to put this type of screening together. It just was, it was insane to me. I don't know, Chris, if you've seen any of the footage, uh, I think a lot of people have seen uh, some pictures that have been somewhat censored. You might have read some of the things that have happened that are disgusting, but I myself have seen some of the footage and I don't want to see that again. It is not something that any, I would say lay person, any person outside should ever bear witness to. So to put that on screen, hold a screening at a theater, to me should be culture checked in so many different ways. And we'll see what happens with Gal Gadot and her, her husband post this. We'll see what happens to this theater post this, right? Is this something that are they going to get canceled or not? I don't know how the culture is going to handle it, but I just can't believe that they did it. Oh, there's a lot to dig into there. I've purposely avoided the video and the imagery uh, I have read a lot about it and I've heard a lot about it and, um, and heard and read very, very graphic descriptions of what Hamas has, has done. A couple of things to dig into here though. One, we mentioned earlier, timing is everything. So to show the film sort of at the height of everyone's fervor in the height of everyone's sort of protest uh, is can and proven to be inflammatory. Like it's going to, you know, create a, a cultural mix up, which is kind of what happened there. Now location is important and industry is important. I don't think they're going to be canceled. 
Um, this is a Israeli friendly industry. Uh, even though you have had actors come out and be sort of, yeah, but let's look at Palestine. We were talking about that when I was in it. This is like a unusual indie talk or um, unusual conversation because I've mentioned journalism school a lot, but we were talking about the framing of Palestine versus Israel back when I was in school in 2008, 2007. So, Again, the more things change, the more things stay the same. We were always talking about that, but this isn't really about that because there's Palestinians and then there's Hamas. And they're not the same. It, you know, if we take our own community, for example, Nick, there's black folks. And Don't go there's Chris like, well, you could go Chris Rock. I wasn't going to, <laughs> but you. but there's black there's black folks, and then there's people who are like, um, but the Brotherhood of Islam in the black community, right? And so, so basically, that's that Martin Luther King Jr. Malcolm X divide, right? That splits our community still to this day. And by the way, getting real tired of people calling him Martin King, the people who are on the other side of it are disrespecting him on platforms, major platforms in debates mm. where the sort of Ibram X Kendi supporters uh, keep calling him Martin King. Stop it. Come on now. You wouldn't even be able to speak on the platform without him. Call him Martin Luther King. Call him Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> and doctor, yeah, at minimum. Right. Do, not be, do not call him Martin King. It's getting on my nerves. So when you look at what Hamas did, I think there's just a clear line of demarcation there that maybe Gal Gadot's husband said, there's not going to be a problem here because this is Hollywood. This is the movie business. And this is America where we don't stand for what Hamas did morally, regardless of what the sort of multi-decade conflict is. So this is just a murder spree right. by a group that does not represent Palestinians. And I think had the film maybe been different, there may have been no fighting, but yet more understanding. And that, and that's my thing. That's what I was curious. I mean, this is the footage. That, that's the part for me that I don't understand. It's It's one thing to have a film to talk about Maybe it's the conflict. Maybe it's to talk about what you just mentioned, which is yeah. the horrendous things happened. But I'm just telling you right now, and I guess I'm telling the audience, don't look at this stuff. Yeah. Don't do it. It's bad enough to read it. Don't look at it. Don't do not. It stays subject, with me for life. Do not subject yourself to it. It's disgusting. So don't don't do it. And I, it doesn't nothing. My, I guess my whole point is, is that nothing good comes from being exposed to that level of just disgust. I mean, it's just, nothing good comes from it. And I think that's why yeah. I, I'm, I'm compelled to have a culture check on it is that you, no one needs to see it. It doesn't need to happen. Whether it's conflict between people who are there at the theater or otherwise, it will stick with you if you watch those types of things. You will never get it off you. You can't wash it off you. And it's so I would just advocate for anyone else 
because this is a film. I mean, it says a title. It's called Bearing Witness. Don't show this film in your theater. Don't watch this film if it becomes available to you because you will not be able to get that stink off of you. And you might end up in a situation like they were at this theater where fights break out and, and police are there and you get pepper sprayed. There's no reason. Again, nothing good comes of it. So just, yeah. just stay away from it. It's like a poorly timed faces of death video. If yeah, you remember those from yep, back I in do. the day where they're basically snuff videos. And as a microculture check, I'll just say, if you go and watch a movie like that, you have to at least do the homework of, of understanding the conflict, understanding the people and understanding Hamas a little bit. So I'm with you, Nick. The timing's bad. Don't need to go watch it. And it's better for you just to understand why this conflict may never, ever be resolved because Hamas just doesn't believe what the rest of the open society and, and free world sort of believes which is that life is precious. And, yeah. and, and, and so the disagreement is, is vast. So anyway, beautiful and perfect culture check. And I think uh, a very poignant one. And the reason why I think it's great to bring it up is because filmmakers are people too. Like what filmmaker could avoid the, the headlines of, of this conflict? What filmmaker could avoid the, the headlines of, of Ukraine versus Russia, which we haven't talked much about, but, but I think it's because we've, we, me and you have been around long enough to know this is just like a proxy war that is more about global positioning than anything else. Exactly. Exactly. All right, man, let's wrap this thing up. It was good. This has been fun. We have a lot happening between now and the rest of the year. So I think obviously we're going to hear a lot about Thanksgiving. We're going to hear a lot about Christmas. We're going to hear a lot about New Year's and we're going to go into 2024 with some new stuff, stronger, better than ever. Super, super pumped about what we are accomplishing. And, and this audience has been supportive and, and been with us all the way uh, along for the ride. Cannot wait to hear you tell this audience why you've completely disregarded Turkey and on Thanksgiving. Uh, so that's a little, we call in the business, we call that a tease. So come back next time to hear why Nick has completely, completely disregarded Turkey and will not have it, will not have it on his Thanksgiving table or any Thanksgiving table he attends. <laughs> it's true. He's laughing because it's true. And he'll talk to you about that on the next one. Speaking of new, we have unleashed a couple of new handles, underscore make it podcast. That's really the cool new place to find us. If the, the cool kids are trying to go there, right? They're going to underscore bonsai creative. They're finding us in those places they've always found us at. They're finding us at bonsai.film. They're finding you at nick at bonsai.film. They're finding me on X. But now there's a new place, underscore make it podcast on Instagram. And on X you can also find a new make it page on Facebook. So this is where we're going with the podcast. We're, we're trying to sort of reduce the, the, the feel of this being sort of a, a company's podcast. I, the way I described it, Nick earlier to, to a colleague of ours is like, no one would listen to the Chick-fil-A podcast. No one would listen to know. the to to sort of the REI podcast. I don't know if they if they doubled down and it was the cows who were actually yeah, yeah, doing yeah. the podcast and they were telling everybody to eat more chicken. 
then you know mm. I, I might I might give a listen. Chick Fil A is a bad example because they do sprinkle crack on their chicken. Well, well, so and, and I might want to listen to some of the people who work at Chick Fil A in the stores because you know, and I would say in the stores, in the restaurant, they're just so nice. Superior I would just start customer with, service. And here, here it is. I just, I just gave them a title. So if y'all are listening, start your day with Chick Fil A. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Watch him take it. Watch him take it. Because I would totally start my day with Chick-fil-A. Just knowing that like those are the people who are greeting me, starting my day. If you're going to mm-hmm. greet me with in the morning the same way you greet me when I walk into a Chick-fil-A, dude, I'm good. Like everything is everything is going to be great. Right. Everything is awesome. Like a movie. So my apologies. Bad example. But the point is, we don't want to be the podcast of a company. We want make it to stand on its own. So that is been sort of the catalyst behind why we're making these changes. And there's a lot more to come with that. Of course, for those listening, you can still find us on all the channels that we've always been on. And then for those watching, you've seen sort of the maturation of what we've done with the Make It Podcast page on YouTube. So we appreciate all those subscribers that are watching. For those that are new, please hit the subscribe button, subscribe to our YouTube page. We won't let you down on that. We're going to keep it going and uh, make sure you have quality content. Yep. Subscribe like and share make it happen yep look at you make it happen totally totally agree and last but not least we do have a bi-weekly newsletter that is just a passion project for us here producer elise producer proper bear me and nick we put it together every two weeks and we just try to find things from the corner of the universe the corners of the universe in film and and tv that you may not know about that that will entertain you educate you inspire you And that's at bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. So you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's completely free. Again, that's bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. And so with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo? Of course, of course. Because, you know, this is this is one of the uh, this is like the little cherry on top because we get to talk to our friends, our fans, our followers out there and remind them to be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, man. And take it easy. You too, brother. Talk soon. All right, man. Yes, sir. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Banzai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. That's 
Thank you for listening.